Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. I am Bobby the Awesome, and I have a guest that can serve both audiences today that I'm excited to dig into. I have Miss Patty Stahl. Welcome to the shows, Patty. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Me too. I'm not a parent, but your topic, I think, will impact a lot of parents out there. So before we dig in, would you mind just giving a nice introduction? Share, share a little about yourself, please. Sure. Well, I live in Dallas. I have, met, have been a therapist for over 40 years, working with adults. Um, and I've, the book that I've written is about bullying because I, one of my sons was bullied when he was a boy. And he, they're now in their 30s. So that was really my inspiration, seeing what he went through as a victim of bullying, it's pretty difficult. It's hard for parents to see it because you feel kind of powerless. Can't get in there and stop it really. Yeah. I didn't realize your son was the inspiration. So, so you're saying they're in their thirties and this was younger. So it's not like bullying's a new event. This is something that's been going on a really long time. Yeah, unfortunately, but in the old days, if uh, someone was bullied, the response was, well, boys will be boys, right? Mm -hmm. Or girls just act like that at this age. Um, But now things are changing. People are becoming a whole lot more sensitive to the subject of bullying and and the repercussions of bullying. And, you know, there's been a lot in the news about um, these school shootings where I think it's 75% of kids who do school shootings say that they were bullied or are known to have been bullied. Uh, and then also the suicides that come from uh, being so devastated by being bullied. So it's a serious problem, and it's finally getting recognition the last few years, I'd say. Probably because of the shootings, like you pointed out, and things like that, unfortunately. I don't use the H word, the hate word, too often, but I hate that some of these things take as long as they do, or that not everyone is as passionate about it as as we can be, so... Can you start us on the ground floor and share with us, like, what is the definition of bullying or what could, could you give us some examples or what, what could that look like as a, as a regular? And then we'll dig a little deeper into maybe some signs for parents. Yeah. Well, bullying can take lots of forms. It can be physical where the, the, the child is actually beaten up or tripped or kicked. Uh, it can be emotional where they're called names or teased about something. Um, or it can be kind of social, which happens a lot with, with girls, where all of a sudden you're being ignored or there are rumors started about you, that kind of thing. So it really can take lots of different forms. Am I right in my thinking that, well, is bullying about power or is it about the bullier not having like self-esteem and just having their own struggles? Like, do you, do you know what the causes are? Or are you seeing patterns? Yeah, um, both, I would say. There are some kids who bully who are the most popular kids, and they're trying to entertain everybody and keep their popularity that way. And so finding a victim that they can victimize uh, in order to get laughs is is a, a powerful thing for them. And it keeps them in power, in a sense. And then there are others Oh, there are lots of reasons. There are others who were bullied by someone else. And so now they're bullying. I'm trying to think. I think it was uh, Tyra Banks who said that she was bullied by her brother 
uh, really badly at home. So then she became a school bully before then she before she then reverted to being bullied by the other kids. So uh, it's interesting how kids can switch back and forth in their roles between being the bully and being bullied. So some kids uh, have been bullied. Some kids see bullying going on at home between their parents or between other uh, people who they're living with. Um, some of them are just feeling really insecure. And so they need to find someone they can feel more powerful than. It's funny, the other, well, and sometimes there's jealousy. That's another thing, which is interesting. But the other day I had a client come in and she said, you know, I ran into this guy the other day and he used to bully me so badly when I was growing up. She's now in her fifties. And she said she ran into him for the first time and it had really been something that was difficult for her at the time. And he said to her, I am really sorry the way I used to tease you and bully you. I had such a crush on you and I didn't know how to tell you. So that was his, his explanation for bullying. You know, he wanted contact with her and that was all he could think of. So there are lots of different reasons. And I think it's really important for kids who are being bullied to know that, you know, it's not that they're being bullied because there's something wrong with them. Uh, you have to think about the fact that the bully, him or herself, is also a person who's having problems. Oh, that's true with everything nowadays. Just understanding there's a lot more than meets the eye for sure. I love that you yeah. told that story with your client because I got an email like that, a Facebook message within the last decade or so from somebody in high school. Not that I, you know, the crushing part, but the apology all the years later. So hmm. I almost wonder, is it, my first, my first assumption would be that it's a kid's thing, a maturity thing, maybe uh-huh. if people grow up and apologize, but I've seen workplace bullying too, which is starting to be on the radar a little. Do you have any, right. in, like any feedback about that? Are you seeing that? Is that something you talk about in your practice, the workplace part of it? I don't. um, I don't. I really haven't dealt with that much. But what's interesting, you're talking about the apologies. What the research is showing is that it's it can be as difficult for the bullier and for the bystander who doesn't intervene as it is for the person who's being bullied because Mm -hmm. they feel so much guilt for not intervening or for being the bully. Uh, And so that there can be guilt and shame in any of those roles, bystander, bully, or bullied. You can't win in that situation. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So part of what caught my interest as far as talking from the three to one perspective, the gambling and addiction part, and I know addiction is not necessarily your arena, but hearing you talk, my first impression was, I believe that addiction is caused by unresolved trauma and issues. Like that's just what I've come to believe through my journey. I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's just what I believe. And it's how my recovery has been more successful than when I didn't go backwards to go forwards. So do you see parallels with either the parents at home, maybe with addiction stuff, and then the children are bullies, or do you see bullied children then leaning to addiction? Like, do you see any correlation from your experience? I'll I'll tell you, one of the uh, main consequences of being bullied is social anxiety as an adult. Okay. So social anxiety means that people are really uh, afraid of being judged negatively, not getting people's approval. So 
what happens is they begin avoiding situations where somebody might think something bad about them. And one of the ways that they're able to get themselves into some of these situations is by drinking or by drugging. Um, so then that sort of bolster that bolsters them enough. I mean, we call that safety behaviors um, because avoidance is a big deal with social anxiety. You know, also just not trusting people because if they've been treated really badly by people when they're young, it's hard to get rid of that kind of expectation about how people will re- react to them. So I think, yeah, for sure. I, I see a lot of clients who can't or won't go into a social situation without a few drinks or without a few of whatever else they're using. Um, you know, when I was thinking about the gambling connection um, after we talked some, and I was thinking, you know, one of the things that I, that I learned from researching all these celebrities, we'll, we'll talk about that later, I guess, but one of the silver linings that a lot of them claim to have gotten from being bullied is that they, in their motivation and their drive to show their bullies that they were special or that they could succeed worked for them in a sense. So something I was thinking about with regard to the gambling was that you become a winner or your hope is that you're going to become a winner, right? And that you can show people, huh, I'm worth more than you thought I was, not monetarily, but I'm a success. And I'm wondering about that connection. Well, it's, as you're speaking, and, and the word that keeps showing up in my head is ego, because in gambling, we use this term called big shotism. And when you were talking about the schools and how one of the reasons people bully is to keep like their stature within the group. That's something that gamblers do. They want to buy expensive gifts or if you're, if you get points or like, I I was guilty of it. I took my mother on a cruise because it was a free cruise because the casino gave it to me. It wasn't really free. I mean, I pretty much lost my everything, but my life over gambling, but it's I'll, I'll treat for dinner on the casino point. So there is this ego piece of it, I think. So I think that's one of the places it might be connected. Right, for sure. And um, if you were bullied and treated badly and felt like you weren't worth worth anything, which is kind of a common reaction to being bullied, you assume something's wrong with you, then being a winner like that and being able to uh, show off or pay for people's meals or pay for their cruises would be very um, appealing, right? Exactly. You, you know, I once went on a date. I just thought of this. Many years ago, when I was dating, I went out with this man who uh, was very attractive. He was a doctor. He was he was very successful, had a good personality. I mean, I, I liked him a lot. And he told me that he had gone to his high school reunion a couple of weeks before and that he had hired this beautiful model to pretend that she was his girlfriend before he went Um because he needed to show his bullies that he had succeeded. The degree, the looks, the the financial success, none of that was enough. He needed to show them that he had this beautiful model with him. That is so sad. I was just sharing with someone last week about, you know, as we're in the world, you have a book. We need to promote your book, right? I have a podcast. I have a mission. So it's really important that we hit the masses. And the way to do that is social media. 
And in this particular conversation, the girl was talking about, well, I get uncomfortable being on there because I don't know what the people from high school will think. Like eight or 10 years removed. She's like, well, my high school friends, I was like, they're probably thinking and like, we talked about being vulnerable. They're thinking and feeling the same things you are. The problem is you don't find out until you go to the reunion and you actually have those conversations. Like I right. went to mine and I was, I remember always dreaming. I'm going to show up in my 18 wheeler. Cause I used to drive truck. I'm going to show up in my black Peterbilt and blah, blah, blah. And that was for my 10 year, but we never had one. But then my 20 year, by then we're all a little bit more seasoned. And it was like, almost like unconditional love. Once you, you know, talked about it, you realize that everybody is coming from the same place. Everybody had hurts. Maybe it's because they were the bullier or the bully or maybe because of what's happening at home. But like, we're all the same when it comes to we all have issues. Exactly. And that's so important. And that's something people with social anxiety just don't see. Their their assumption is that they have to be perfect in order to be acceptable to others. And so that's one of the main things that I work on in my practice is helping them allow themselves to be human. And the interesting thing is that research shows that that's, that's what attracts people to you is you're sharing things about yourself and allowing people to see that you're human because they're human and they don't feel comfortable if you're not human. So that's a big thing for, you know, do you want, let me just tell you about this study that I think is so interesting that uh, this, this uh, psychologist had his, um, well, he had this waiting room and he had subjects in the waiting room. And then he had some of his colleagues one by one walk into the waiting room as if they were going to be seen by this doctor. So they had the first one walk in a woman and she was all put together. Everything was perfect. Her makeup, her clothes, her, you know, she looked so together and she walked over and she sat down. And then the second person who came in was kind of disheveled. She tripped and she dropped her coffee and she sat down and they repeated this experiment over and over. And who do you think of the two was the one that most of the people wanted to be friends with? They said, I guess the question was, who would you rather be friends with? Well, I would want to be with the coffee lady because the other one would intimidate me. Exactly. And that's what happened. That's the one that people chose. And yet, if you asked someone How do you think, what do you think would make people like you? Oftentimes they think, well, I have to look perfect and I have to act perfect. So it's kind of interesting. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, it's a very interesting point. And I have an 18 year old niece. So a lot of the times, especially with my guests, I look through things through the lens of how do I help her with things like that? Because, you know, she had been bullied. Um, And what sucks is she's just like such a good kid, right? And and again, I knew her background and what she was dealing with. And she never confessed until years later that this was even happening. And and she's like, I don't have any friends. And it was, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. You have a great, you know, even taking off the family lens, you're, you know, you're pretty, you're sweet, you're helpful. And she developed the anxiety where she couldn't even order food at a restaurant. Like exactly. wouldn't even talk in a restaurant. It's scary. Wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, if, if I, I had a really uh, quirky 
solution when my son was bullied. And I'll share this in case any of the parents out there are interested in using this. So my son was small for his age. And uh, when he started this new school in fifth grade, these kids were carrying around these backpacks full of these really heavy books. And I thought he couldn't handle this backpack full of heavy books. So I insisted that he get a backpack that was rolling. Well, that was a big mistake. I had no idea, but that was going to be the kiss of death for this poor guy. So there was this older boy. Well, no, not older, but he had been at the school longer and he was much bigger. So he used to call my son loser, loser. And he kicked the rolling backpack into the woods and make fun of him for having this rolling backpack. And this was obviously difficult for my son and for my husband and me. I mean, it's it's a really bad feeling when your child comes home and is so sad about that. He was also very athletic and good looking and personable. So it really was difficult. So I don't know how how I came up with this. But one day I said to him, look, I will give you a quarter every time this guy's name was Nick, every time Nick calls you a loser. But I want you to tell Nick that I'm doing this. So my son looked at me like I was crazy. And I and I thought he'll never, ever do this. Well, two days later, he came back in and he said, you owe me a, a quarter. Did I say nickel? I meant quarter if I said nickel. Uh, you owe me a quarter. And I said, just one quarter? He only calls you a loser once? He said, yeah. I said to him, call me a loser. And he said, Why? And I said, just call me a loser. And he said, why? And I said, my mother's going to pay me every time you call me a loser. So call me a loser. And the loser's, res- I mean, Nick's response was, <laughs> I'm not going to call you a loser. <laughs> he didn't want to, he did not want to call him a loser as long as it was something he wanted. And then later in the day, he, this, this boy, Nick, needed a pencil and he asked my son for a pencil. And my son said, I'll give you a pencil if you'll call me a loser. that is brilliant that is absolutely a brilliant strategy I love it well it worked (laughs) I don't know if it worked for anyone else but it worked what were you gonna say was this Nick part of the inspiration we didn't really talk you we talked about your son a little bit but was it just Nick or were there other things can you do you want to expand about that a little bit no, I'd say it was just Nick, but he was a real thorn in my son's side. Um, and so that took care of it. But it, it had gone on for quite a while before I came up with that unusual strategy. And really, um, for parents out there who are dealing with with uh, issues of bullied kids, the best thing you can teach your kids is not to react to the bullying, which is very difficult. But if they don't cry and they don't get mad and they don't get upset in any way, then the bully doesn't want to do it anymore because they're looking for a reaction, right? Mm-hmm. They want this kid to do something to show that this is bothering them. So if you can train your child, and you may have to do it by role playing, just constantly giving your child uh, insults and having your child get used to just acting indifferent. But if you can get your, your child to do that, that will take the wind out of the sails of these bullies. Patty, can we go back a second? So that's a good solution. But how would a parent know that their child is being bullied? Yeah. I mean, other right. than them telling them. Right. And they don't. A lot of times they don't, like your your niece, right? You didn't know. And it's, they're ashamed of it. That the, I think the main consequence, really, the thing I see the most of in my adult clients who were bullied is shame. 
And that's where the social anxiety comes from. So the kids are ashamed uh, or they feel like their parent either won't care or will say, well, just, you know, suck it up. Um, they're, they're not expecting or they're, or they're afraid that their parent will be overdramatic, right? And, and uh, be too sympathetic and make them feel even worse in a way, or that their, their parent will go off and run up to the school and yell about it. And so they don't, their parent feels unpredictable to them. So they're not that comfortable talking to their parent about it. Um, so parents really have to look for signs. If they see a real change in their child's behavior, if the child is, isn't wanting to go to school, if their grades are slipping, uh, if they're using uh, drugs, you know, if, if they see that drugs are suddenly in the picture or alcohol, um, if they're suddenly not talking about certain people who they were friendly with before and suddenly they're not friendly with them anymore, if they're having trouble sleeping, if they're having headache. So those are the kinds of things. If you see those kinds of changes it's worth at least asking uh, in a very accepting way. You know, is there anything going on that you're not telling me about? You can tell me anything and I promise I'll, I won't react any way you don't want me to, basically, right? Do you mind, Patty, if I take a second? I want to hear about the the celebrity study, but I would like to throw this out there for my gambling audience because I just had a thought. Another one of my fundamental beliefs is that instead of thinking when we quit gambling or addiction or whatever we're, we're quitting or getting out of our life, instead of thinking of it as a loss, like I always, the, the casinos were my first boyfriend, my first love. Instead of thinking it as a loss, what you just gave parents was this gift. If you're not gambling, if you're not drinking, if you're present as a parent, that's how you're going to see all those signs that you just listed. If you're drinking the beer every night or you're off at the boats, you're not even going to know. And this conversation, Patty, like the ripple of that. So let's say someone hears this and goes, oh, oh my God, the consequences of being in your addiction, not paying attention to your child, your child's going through this. It not getting resolved. Now what happens to the child long-term? They're hiring a model to go to, to high school reunions or they're not feeling good about themselves and showing up for themselves every day. So I just had that profound moment. So I had to let that out of my system. Well, that's such a great point. Exactly. Well, I don't think if, you're, if there's any addiction involved, it's hard to be there for your child, right? Or for, or for anyone, really. Um, and, and, and part of the problem with addiction, but with, I think with gambling in particular is, well, is that true? Maybe probably all is that it's anxiety based, right? I mean, it, it helps with the anxiety. So, um, you know, if you can deal with, which you seem to have done really well, if you can deal with what, what happened in a sense, where the anxiety is coming from, then you can deal with the addiction a lot better. And you can be there for your child. So I guess what you're saying is it's not so much a loss as a gain in a way, obviously. That is exactly my point. Yeah, you gain this ability to change the trajectory. And I don't think we think about it even beyond our old households. There's 
the children, and then there's the children's children. And I think I personally am believing that this is part of the shift. I think the young people are starting to teach us, you know, they're finding better ways. There's a lot of like young, sober people. There's, um, you know, the sexuality stuff. There's a lot of things coming out that they're talking about at a much younger age and bringing to the forefront, whether it's just to have a voice, which is better than holding it in and then turning into um, sure. or counting on something to deal with the anxiety. Um, I think there's, I just think there's something going on. I think the adults are maybe talking about it more. I think there's some shifts, but I can think of so many television shows where either the bullying perpetuates from, from generation to generation, or you described it so well being that the parents being unpredictable, like you I can think of so many sitcoms, right? Like the kid gets bullied and the, the parents on the sitcom want to go to the school and beat up the kid. And like, there's all this, right. um, I don't know if it's too, uh, too nonchalant or if it's getting the messages, but that's what was popping in my head as you were talking was like, I've seen, it's not like it's a topic that isn't talked about, but I don't know that it's talked about seriously enough. Um, with identifying it and then, you know, the quarter trick or role-playing. I thought that was excellent role-playing advice. So, um, so is there anything else you want to say at this point before we shift gears? Cause I'm really curious about your celebrity study too. I just want to mention one, one technique you were talking about the role-playing and this does take some role-playing practice with, with an adult or a friend, but it, there's an assertiveness technique called fogging and, um, what it is, is if someone criticizes you, you agree with the part of the criticism that is true. Okay. So for instance, if someone says, oh my gosh, you're so tall, you look like a giraffe. Then your response would be, yeah, I am tall. So you don't agree that you look like a giraffe, but you do admit that agree that you're tall but so it's it, the part of it is the words and part of it is the attitude that goes with it right and i it basically you're saying and that's okay with me i'm okay being tall you don't have to say that but you project that attitude like yeah i'm tall and if and if it doesn't bother you that you're tall then again the bully has no, has nowhere to go with it right so you have power. to look the bully huh you're taking the power away Exactly. You have to look the bully in the eye. You have to speak loudly. You have to sit up straight and you just project a sense of confidence in yourself and not caring what the bully has to say. Um, who's that comedian? Uh, Corden, the one who does the car talk, James Corden. Is that his name? I am not good at any of that stuff. This is okay. how I spend well, my evenings, Patty. <laughs> I am so, this is my socialization. <laughs> Okay. I think it's James Corden, but he, he had a really good comment. He said, um, confidence is kryptonite to bullies. Ooh, I like that. Isn't that, that good? Yeah. So fake it till you make it. Pretend that, it, I mean, inside you're, it's probably really hurting, but if you don't let the bully know that you're way, way ahead of the game. So I just wanted to throw that in. Cause I think that technique is wonderful. So you don't know this about me, but one of my favorite people in the whole world is Grant Cardone. And he is a big businessman and he coaches on so many different levels. And he teaches us in sales to always agree to, to kind of 
keep the customer at ease and whatever. And it's interesting that it would, you bring up agreeing, like agreement really solves a lot of problems, I guess. Um, Can you say that quote again from the comedian? Yes, it's confidence is kryptonite to bullies. Okay, so this is this is why I wanted to repeat this because this is another thing Grant teaches us. He likes haters, as he calls them. So instead of and and um, the lead singer from my favorite band just did this recently. There's a bunch of people creating fake accounts and people showing up, imitating them or criticizing them, right, for being bigger and beautiful in life for showing up for themselves and for their audiences. And the, the band guy hung up a sign. He's like, I don't care about the fake accounts. Like here I am. And whatever, he took away the power. And Grant is the same way with this confidence. He's like, I love haters. That means they're paying me attention. And it's like, and again, just that sentence, just that spin in that reframe really does. It's like, what's the point? Like what are, yeah. what are, well, let me ask you this. What are bullies trying to get out of bullying? Well, I think um, power. And you're, power. like you said, it takes their power away. Um, one thing that some people use is humor. So boy, you're so tall. You look like a giraffe. Oh, thanks for noticing. Or, or kindness. Some, some people will, res- will say something like, oh, well, if they say, well, those shoes are stupid or something, you, then you can say back, oh, I like your shoes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and again, what does the bully do with that? Right. So oh, I love it. Yeah. So instead of, instead of, um, going against the force, I guess you just kind of, ret- you know, I don't know. There's some analogy there that I'm missing. I get what you're saying. It does. (laughs) I think you were probably even getting into physics there for a minute, but I get your point. Like it's automatic defeat. If you're not sparking the fire, that's what I think we're doing. Gasoline on the fire. Your book. Can you give us an overview of your book? Like who's your audience for your book or what, what are they going to get? What are they going to learn from you? Well, it's a book for kids and teens who are being bullied and obviously for their parents because their parents have to choose it for the kids. And um, first of all, it gives stories of more than 60 celebrities from, I mean, all kinds of fields. I didn't want to just make it entertainment. It's entertainment and sports and politics. And there's a, there's a polar explorer in there. (laughs) Um, uh, And they all talk about the fact that they were bullied and what they did to uh, deal with it. Um, and I think it's just something that kids need because again, they feel so weird, right? They feel like something's wrong with them if they're getting bullied. And if they learn that their heroes were bullied, it just normalizes the whole thing. I mean, Beyonce was bullied and told that she was ugly and stupid. Um, Elon Musk was bullied so badly he had to be hospitalized. I mean, it, it goes on and on. So Eminem was 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 um, bullied so badly that he got a concussion. So um, when they hear that these people they think are too cool to be bullied were actually bullied, I think it that that's the message I want to get across. And the other message, well, there are a few messages, but the one I think is so important is that 
the things that a lot of these people were bullied for turn out to be the things that they become famous for. The model, Giselle Bunchen. Her name is Rosie. I don't know. I don't even remember her name. Rosie Whitington something or other. She's a really well-known model, but I don't know many models. But she was teased. I think they called her fish lips or something because her lips were so big. And now she says as a model that that's her trademark is her beautiful lips. But it goes on and on like that. There are so many people who were teased for something. Taylor Swift was was teased for liking country music. So she would go home and and for not being she was kind of kicked out of the popular group because she wasn't cool or pretty enough. (laughs) And uh, she would go home and be so sad that she would write lyrics to songs and then. That's how she became Taylor Swift. Um, so, so many examples. Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, was teased for his long arms, which, of course, helped him so much with his swimming. Um, and there's so many stories like that. So and the other. So besides those messages, I, I would hope that the kids would learn that uh, the things that they're that people are saying about them aren't necessarily true. You know, like. Um, Uh, Like I mentioned, Giselle Bunch, and they said, you'll never be on a magazine cover. She's a famous model now. Or Lady Gaga. Actually, she was already in college and somebody started a a Facebook group saying, you will never be famous. (laughs) I got that wrong. uh, Yeah, exactly. And uh, Justin Timberlake was told he was a terrible singer. Um, and, I mean, it just goes on and on. So if, if, if kids can get more perspective on this whole bullying things, and of course, parents can help them by giving them this information, um, I think it would make a world of difference. I, I love that angle. And what I just wrote down from what you said was turning your uniqueness into your superpower. That's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's exactly right. Because being different is the thing that attracts negative attention a lot when you're a kid, right? If you don't fit in in some way. Um, And so oftentimes that way that you don't fit in ends up being something that makes you very special as an adult. So I like that a lot. Yeah. So that's basically my mission is to help these kids feel better about the fact that they're being bullying. They may not be able to stop it, but at least they'll have a better perspective about it. And it won't hopefully lead to the same. I mean, the repercussions are terrible. Um, The way they feel when it's happening. And then, as I was saying, when they, when they're older and they still can't get rid of this belief that there's something wrong with them. Um, So. Are your clients traditionally parents of kids that are bullied or do you find out that their anxiety as adults through therapy that they were bullied and that was part of the cause to their anxiety like do they know that like I'm trying to picture if I go to a therapist I almost don't know what my problems are or what caused it before I go and explore that with the therapist so do you get Mm -hmm. both most of the time they don't make that connection and a lot of times it takes quite a while for them to even bring up the bullying in, in therapy, because again, it's so shameful for them. Um, and they, they assume that people are going to think something's wrong with them if they were bullied. But I would say, boy, I don't know what percent. I, like I said, I kind of specialize in social anxiety. And I 
I'd say probably 90% of the people who I work with on social anxiety were bullied and it will come up. I mean, they just, there's, they're just um, so reluctant to trust anyone because they had such bad experiences. And so then what you have to do with those people is to try to kind of correct the assumptions that they made about themselves as a result of being bullied. And that, that's what cognitive therapy is all about. You know, looking at what is it you're saying to yourself that keeps you from going into that party? Well, I'm telling myself that no one's going to like me. Okay, well, where does that come from? What evidence do you have? And a lot of times it'll, it'll go back to it'll connect with being a child and in the, uh, on the playground and no one wanted to play with them. So you have to kind of make that connection and see that, well, okay, you were, you were a kid then. That was a lot of years ago. And you've had a lot of positive experiences since then. There are a lot of people who like you. So it doesn't, it does, it no longer holds for you. It's no longer, you no longer have to try to keep yourself safe. Um, that's part of it. The other part of it is that you want to let them know that if someone doesn't like you, it's not the end of the world, right? You can get through this life not being liked by someone um, and live a very happy life because there's, there's no necessity to be liked by everyone. And it's an impossibility, right? Because people like different things in people. So that kind of rational thinking is an important part of dealing with people with social anxiety. And the other part is self-compassion because they have so little compassion for themselves. They, they're basically uh, projecting all these expectations everybody else has for them onto themselves. Well, I have, to, I have to be this way. I have to be a really good conversationalist, and I have to dress this way, and no one's going to like me if I don't drink, for instance. That's, that's something I hear. I'll go to this party, and uh, I don't really want to drink, but what if I don't drink? Everybody's going to think there's something wrong with me. Well, maybe that was true when you were in high school, but it's probably not going to be true as an adult, that kind of thing. So kind of correcting the, the assumptions that they've made based on their experiences. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Dr. Amen? He's no, tell me. Oh, he's wonderful. He, he created this culture of brain warriors and his mission is to get everybody brain healthy. And he believes as a psychologist, he's like, why are we the only doctors that don't look at the organ that we are treating, meaning the brain? So he does brain spec imaging and looks at all the athletes and the concussions and the addictions and just done tons of research on it. But he has these four questions and I don't remember them all, but you're saying them over and over again. Um, so to change our thinking, he calls them, ne- he calls them ants, automatic negative thoughts. Ants. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the, the first two questions are, is it true? The second question is it, is it absolutely true? So, and that's what you keep saying, you know, as an adult, if I don't drink at this party, is it really true that people are going to be looking at me? Here's what I've learned about my recovery, Patty. Mm-hmm. We are not as important as we think we are to other people. Oh, that's a big one. That's such an important thing to remember. Yeah. Probably like, no one's even going to notice whether you drink or not at the party. Right. And then the other thing is, even if they are judging me for not drinking, that's their problem. That doesn't have to be my problem. I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm not going to wake up with the hangover tomorrow. I'm not going to say something stupid because I'm loaded. You know, I'm, 
those things and in just those two like logics could yeah. help like how do we how do we teach six year olds that and help them carry those lessons? You know, I didn't learn them till my forties. Um, I just wish I could help so many people understand those things. Just baseline yeah. thoughts. Yeah, those are the two very important questions. I frame them differently or phrase them differently, but that's a really important part of any kind of cognitive therapy or rational rethinking. The first question is how likely is this thing to happen? that you're expecting, right? Whatever it may be, that people are going to judge me for not drinking. How likely is it? And then you go through certain questions like, well, uh, has it happened before? Does it happen to other people? Have you seen other people get judged for not drinking? How often does it happen, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go in the the other direction because people who are anxious, even if the answer is one in a million, they're going to assume this is the one in a million time, right? So then you have to go in the other direction. Okay, let's say it's true. Let's say that they are judging you. What's the worst that could happen if someone judges you? And then, and you can kind of go through that process of what, the fantasy is like, oh, they're all going to point and laugh or whatever. And then what's the reality? If someone judges you, they might say, hmm, you're not drinking. I mean, that's, and then the second important kind of sub question to that is, could you survive that? Right. Mm. Could you survive it if somebody thought that you should be drinking and you're not? I mean, how important really is that? So yes, exactly. Those, those are such important questions. Um, I think you can, you can, Probably with kids, like you mentioned, a six-year-old, probably um, I'd focus more on kind of self-esteem talk and on how to actually deal with the interaction with the bully. Um, But as soon as I could, I would start talking about what you're talking about, the rational thinking. How likely is it? So what if it? And one thing I I think is really helpful for people, because anxiety is all about what if, right? What if this happened? What if? So if you can, in your head, when you hear yourself saying what if, cross it out in your mind and change it to so what if, right? You like that one. (laughs) I do like that one. I do like that one. So what if? Somebody said something about worrying is, praying for the worst result, right? Because you're always conscious of those what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Well, you're basically asking the universe to deliver you the bad what ifs. Like I went through this with my mom, like trying to teach her. I'm like, the universe can hear you. Like stop seeing, you know, the, cause she, you know, the catastrophizing of, of this stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you're saying it out loud, you're asking for it. I mean, that's a whole different topic but the what if I, I love that okay so what if so what if yes beautiful right. what if that person thinks that something wrong with me because I'm not drinking thinks I'm not fun so what if they think that or there's I mean it's all about the what if with anxiety really yeah well the the truth and and your question was how did you ask your question I'm sorry the giraffe one is what when you said the agreeing with the true, so like, if you really just break down, am I really a giraffe or, you know, like, what if I was a giraffe? Like, that's not even logical. You can't even draw any rhyme or reason to that. So your strategy is amazing. I love it. Yeah. Good. Is there anything that I did not cover that you would like to cover? Um, No, I think we touched on the bullying and the social anxiety. Um, 
The book is called From Loser to Legend, uh, How 60 Plus Celebrities Survived and Thrived After Bullying. And it has strategies and advice, like I said, um, plus, you know, advice from me as a therapist. No, I think, I think you're a great interviewer. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I told you it was just a conversation. We're here to have fun. And and this is, this is a mindset thing, right? My role is to make my guests feel comfortable so that they can share their superpowers. So that's all. I'm just a facilitator and I was happy to share you with the world. (laughs) Thank you. You're more than a facilitator though. You have a lot of good thoughts and information. So. Well, That's my opinion. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a big compliment, especially because we're talking a lot about parental stuff and I don't have kids. So I try to be really mindful of the lens I look at that through. But, all right. Yeah. Well, we will make sure I got a QR code. And, and now that you shared the name of the book, uh, teachers out there, you know, if you want to buy a copy and share it with your class, I think that's all right, too. I'm good with that. So uh, we'll plant that seed. I have a cousin in Colorado that's a teacher. I'm going to tell her to get it. Um, Thanks. Thank you for what you're doing with the world, Patty. I really appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing as well. Nice talking to you. You too. 